Welcome to the Think It, Make It podcast with your host, Eric Royer, all about turning your ideas into reality with a CNC router, tips and tricks, new products, interviews, and much, much more. This just got exciting. Whether you're using a CNC for business or hobby, we have great stuff in store for you. So this week on the podcast, I have Mike Legregni from Veteran Woodco. Um, Mike has uh, been working with us now for probably a year and a half or so since he got one of our machines. And uh, he does some amazing projects. And I'm really happy to have him on the podcast today to talk about uh, his business and how he got started and uh, and what uh, what he's got going on in the future. So, Mike, welcome. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, anytime. So, um I know, you know, it's funny. I talk to people all the time and, and I, I mentioned, cause I'm on the phone. I mentioned, Oh yeah, this guy uh, that we have a customer, you ever check out what he does? Veterans would call everybody knows who you are that I've talked to. It's, 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 it's not that it's weird. It's just that everybody appreciates the, the projects you do. And, you know, you've done some really, uh, really cool, notable things we'll have to talk about later. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. So I, I was excited when you agreed to do the podcast, cause I thought it's a good opportunity to people to get to know you a little bit better and, and really know what's going on and what your plans are and, you know, what, uh, what the empire of veteran Woodco is going to look like in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's exciting. Thank you. First of all, thank you again. And, uh, it brings a smile to my face when you say that everyone you mentioned it to is already familiar with the name. I wish my my follower account reflected that. I mean, it's getting there. You know, we're about to hit ten thousand on Instagram. That's really the only platform I kind of focus on. Um, but you know, I am looking forward to the next year to see what you know version two of the Empire can can bring. And I'm happy to talk about it here today. And um, that's it. You know, I'm just really ha- really happy to be part of Team Stepcraft. Um, to get that out of the way first and foremost. You guys have been awesome to me, and it's a great company to be affiliated with. So. Let's uh, let's roll on sure. with the podcast. So, well, your background? I mean, what? Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, people who don't know Mike Legregni, what is? What's your story? Mike Legregni. Mike Legregni grew up uh, a young skater in Paramus, New Jersey. My background in woodworking officially started when I was old enough to strike a nail with a hammer and build skateboard ramps in the street, and uh, did a couple of years of, of just literally fabricating skateboard ramps and fun boxes and you name it. Uh, that turned into cars when I got my license. First car was the iconic 89 Mustang 5.0, <laughs> which again involved turning wrenches, making it go fast. Joined the Marine Corps prior to 9-11, uh, about a year prior, September 2000. And my initial job was aircraft mechanic. So I've always, I've always enjoyed turning wrenches. Uh, my father was very influential in my decision to not be going, going into like the infantry side of the, the house. And he knew I was enjoyed turning wrenches and creating things. So he's like, you know, you should really get a trade out of the military. Like, cause nowadays that's what a lot of people use it for. So I went into the Marine Corps in 2000 as an aircraft mechanic on Prowlers, which is known as the EA-6B. Uh, they've since retired that platform. And I did that for a couple of years and then transitioned over to like the security SWAT side of the house, which was embassy security for the diplomatic or department of state, uh, different embassies overseas. Did that for a number of years also, got out in 2006, and then worked as a uh, commercial HVAC technician, again, turning wrenches on rooftop, commercial air conditioning and heating for about three years. Put myself through school at night, got a degree in criminal justice, and kind of followed my path from the Marine Corps towards law enforcement and became a police officer in a local town near me. 
and I worked there for about 10 years. So the entire time I was a police officer, I always held a, a part-time job of some sort. Um, the most recent, when I, when I left law enforcement was I was a low voltage uh, electrician. So running data cables, uh, cameras, CCTV, access control, but again, always turning wrenches, always, even when I was off, if it was a nice day out, I'd find a friend of mine who had a race car and we'd go tinker on it or help him do a motor swap or whatever. I was always enjoying turning wrenches. So that kind of transitioned into me finding my way into being a maker and just finding enjoyment out of what I'm doing now full time. So how did you get into CNC? How did that all start? It started when I was still a police officer. Uh, my wife and I had gone out to dinner at a local restaurant and inside the restaurant, they had a, like a rustic American flag on the wall. And she had asked me if I'd be able to make one for the house. So I said, sure. I think I checked the price online and it was, I was blown away by what they were asking for like, you know, nice looking American flags. And I said, yeah, I could definitely make one of those. And I think we, we'd already bought the house at the time. I already had a table saw and a chop saw in my, in my garage. So sure. And so I went to Home Depot, picked up some wood and then started cutting down, you know, 13 stripes and a piece of wood big enough for some stars, glued on a few stars. And I said, this is really time consuming. There's got to be a better way to get stars on a painted piece of wood, which led me to finding a, um, a lumber supply house down the road called boards and beams, which is now like a, a place I get a lot of my material from. And boards and beams had a gentleman there by the name of Chris, who was a CNC operator and a fabricator. And he showed me a Laguna machine and I was blown away because at that point I was already 36 years old. I had never seen a CNC machine in my life and I uh, didn't know where to start. It was like magic to me. I, it was so technologically advanced for my skill set at the time. I was like, this is wild. Like I was really impressed. And that was my first CNC um, <clears throat> introduction was about two and a half years ago it was on a Laguna. And um, started going to Chris for for jobs for him to cut stars in these unions and the flags I was making. And then Chris said to me one day, he's like, you know, you can buy your own machine and like do this in your house. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, but it's huge. He goes, no, they make small ones. I was like, really? And I was like, he's like, yeah, dude, it costs like two grand to get yourself a small one. And he showed me the Chipoko and he showed me the Inventables. So I ended up purchasing an Inventables and um, brought it home, put it together. And that started the... The rabbit hole of where we've kind of journeyed until now. How long have you had that machine before you you uh, reached out to us? I had the Inventables. I bought it. They were having a sale. It was zero like percent financing. It was August of 2019. I, the month prior is when I officially started the LLC for Veteran Woodco, and then had that machine for about six months. Um, the first month or two was like pulling my hair out trying to figure out what made the thing run. As far as reliability goes, never had a problem being reliable. It was built well. Um, my problems were just like figuring it out, figuring out the machine as, as to like mm, the ins and outs of what, what's actually happening, like figuring out the G code, figuring out the commands, figuring out the, the ins and outs of what makes this machine move. So I got to the point where I started taking on um, bigger work. Like it started with flag unions and then it was coworkers from the police department or friends saying, hey, can you make badges? You know, can you make a police badge? And then it was downloading new, new files and doing toolpaths. And I was like, yeah, I think I could do this. And then that led to bigger jobs, which were like, then I started tiling jobs on the CNC. And I was like, this is getting really, really time consuming and, you know, a larger room for error when you start tiling jobs. And then um, I think I had the machine for six months where I was able to operate it with my eyes closed. I'd walk out here in the morning, I'd turn it on, I'd home it and, you know, start throwing material on there. And I'd walk away from it and it would cut and it was noisy and it was, it was fairly reliable, but it wasn't always the best. 
um, in terms of its tolerances and, you know, the clamps were always in the way, no vacuum table, no tool changer. So six months I had that machine and I said, you know what, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. I really like CNC. I like the money that this is providing for me. Like it was constant. Like I, I never, I never didn't have work. Um, and I think I want to get a large format CNC machine. And that's when I started looking again. And the only time I had ever seen a large format was the Laguna. So the first company I had reached out to was in fact Laguna. So um, I want to say I put a deposit down on a four by eight. It may have been a smart shop. It was like $35,000. It was a big machine. And I got really concerned that it a, wasn't going to fit through my garage doors. And then B, I'd have you know ridiculous energy bills every month trying to run this machine, um, converting down from three phase, running a vacuum pump, like a 10 horsepower vacuum pump. I, I, I thought like I'm going to blow the grid or I'm going to have to get in a whole new circuit or a new um, line pulled to the house. So a friend of mine, he said to me, he goes, there's this machine that's for sale up in Connecticut by a company called Stepcraft. You should check it out. And that's when I met you. Wow. And the rest was history. The rest, it's all, it's a love, <laughs> it's a love story. It's a love story. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I remember when, uh, when we first met you, had your, the plans you had were pretty awesome. I delivered your machine. As a matter of fact, you did it, COVID, COVID had just hit. And I yeah. think you had one or two people out. And shipping was out of the question. And I think we're only about an hour and a half or two hours from yeah. each other. So yeah, you were nice enough to come and deliver it. Yeah, that's really cool. So now when you, you said you had a table saw and all that stuff uh, initially, like you didn't have a lot of tools, like th are those still the tools you have now? Cause I know you have a shop uh, saw stop right in there. Was that Correct, the saw yeah. you had? No. So initially, you know, I think it was like my home homeowner's buyer kit. When I bought the house, it was like, all right, I need a table saw. So I bought a, a DeWalt contractor's table saw, like the, the portable one. Mm -hmm. And then a DeWalt 10 inch non-sliding miter saw, like just a chop saw essentially. And I think I had my dad's old circular saw, like just enough to like do some, some miters and some molding copings in the house. And um, once it was full in with the, the stepcraft machine, it, it needed to be tools of, of that same quality in the shop to match the kind of product I wanted to put out. So safety for me is very important. Um, I have fire extinguishers all over the garage. I've got cameras, I've got alarm systems, smoke detectors. So I wanted to have a, a machine capable of also offering that kind of safety with a table saw. So mm. saw stop is really the only one at the time. I think festival now picked up that patent, but I think saw stop at the time was the only one that offered the safety that I was, that I was looking for with the reliability, the tolerances, um, the performance, like this thing is a workhorse, the three horsepower, it's a single phase 220. Uh, I got the 36 inch wide with the router table on the right hand side. It's a beautiful, beautiful machine. So that was my second big purchase for the shop was uh, the saw stop and then using the, the Q408 to build an outfeed table, which is what is now connected to the saw stop. Mm -hmm. So you have uh, central dust collection and all that stuff in your garage too, or I do. Uh, I have a jet. So when I purchased, a lot of people don't know this, but I guess it doesn't hurt to say the machine, the, the stepcraft that I purchased from you was actually used, and you guys were nice enough to refurbish it for me. Mm -hmm. There was a local woodworker um, down the street from you guys who was selling his equipment, and one of the pieces of equipment was the Q four hundred eight, which I purchased through him, but from you indirectly. And then I paid you guys the difference and the markup to mm -hmm. perform, perform the upgrades, which were the vacuum table, the ATC, the dust boot. And then you re-delivered re that machine. But that same gentleman was selling uh, a bunch of equipment from his shop. And one of which was a, 
a jet three, five horsepower, 220 single volt, single phase planer. So I ended up purchasing the planer from him because I also had a DeWalt planer, which was again, too small for what I wanted to do. And then I just made everything match because I like to have matching, matching colors. <laughs> so I have now the jet, the 20, 20 inch planer. I have a jet um, joiner. I have in the corner, it's a two horsepower jet dust collector. It's a cyclone system. So the way that runs is it's got a, a vertical intake, which goes into the, the ceiling of my attic. So it's like, you can't see it. Nothing's exposed. And then up above me in the actual crawl space of the attic is I have two of the IVAC blast gate, the electronic blast gates mm -hmm. that are hooked up to the table saw and the dust and the um, spindle on the Q408 CNC machine. So depending on what machine is on, each blast gate will open independently of each other to control the dust flow. And that also strings over to the planer, the drill press and the bandsaw. Cool. Yeah, I know you've got an awful lot of equipment and 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 what is it? A two car garage, right? Yeah, it's oversized. two car. Yeah, it's two car garage. There's no supports in it, like in the middle. So it's you know it's beam Wide free. And it's twenty four by twenty one. So and I use every inch of it. What's impressive though is the amount the the size of your, your business that you grew out of that space. Like you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, if I'm gonna have a four by eight machine, I'm gonna have to go rent this huge space, and there's all this other expense, and and you where you built a very impressive business in, in, in a space you already had, which I got to believe is real convenient too, right? You just walk out of the kitchen and you're, you're working and yeah, you don't have to go anywhere. My, you know. The worst part about my, my job is to commute some days. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you don't take a big enough step. You'll fall into the garage. <laughs> One of the requirements for, for the CNC machine was that, you know, other than being a four by eight footprint, which a lot of machines offer, I didn't want to have a, an actual like six by 12 footprint because some of the, the gantries on the uprights are so big mm -hmm. uh, where you need to be a foot, a foot and a half off the wall in every direction. So I knew I needed, I, I had to maximize my efficiency in the shop. So when I learned of your machine and how tight to the wall, I can get it with still being operable and having a four by eight cutting service. That was kind of the selling point. I mean, other things, you know, all things excluded being the vacuum table and ATC, those were bonuses, but for me or for other people that are on a tight confined area, like a two car garage or single car garage, it's nice to get the machine all the way tucked up against the molding. Literally it's against the molding right? and it, it still runs. Yeah. Now, so just for those who don't know, so you're, you're running a Q408 machine. You've got a four by eight foot six zone vacuum table. We're running the ATC 2200, which is a three kilowatt um, tool changer spindle. And you have this sliding pneumatic tool rack on the back. So that helps you too with the uh, space saving because that allows the full four by eight workspace and 10 tools fully automated, but it doesn't take any additional space up on the machine. Um, you're running automatic dust boot too. So you always have positive brush compact, uh, brush contact on the material. Uh, and now for a vacuum pump, you were using a shop vac for a while, correct? Right. I had a six and a half horsepower rigid, um, if we're calling it shop vac, it's not, it's not the brand, but it is a rigid six and a yeah. half horsepower shop vac. And that did work initially. Uh, and I used it for full size sheets too. But if any of the sheets I found being pine or plywood were cupped, it would have a hard time making that suction. So I, you'd find me jumping on the machine. Like I'd crawl up there and jump on it and try to get the, <laughs> the, the material to flatten out. And it worked, but it, it created a ton of heat um, and it didn't have, a, it was loud. It was very loud and I felt like I, it was doing too much work for what the job required. So I went and switched over to the black box vacuum, the hurricane. Mm -hmm. And now it's, yeah, it, I only use the one zone ever. I, I rarely ever turn on the second, the second two pumps 
and it does more than enough for this uh, for the machine. Yeah, it's it's an awesome vacuum pump. Um, yeah, I mean, you so Mike had come up to our facility last week, and we uh, we just moved into our new facility, and he was nice enough to come up to help us make a couple signs to uh, to decorate a little bit. And uh, yeah, we were our machine is the exact same one you have in our demo room, and that's what we were using the whole time, just one zone of that uh, that vacuum pump. Um, did now you you like the fact that we had it in a separate room? Did you do that yet? For the noise, now, yeah. I haven't. Yeah, so <laughs> up at your space, you guys have relocated your vacuum pump to a, like a, a secondary room, and and light switches control the the contact. So under mine, if I throw the power on right now, it'll start screaming. And it gets hot in here, and it's just it's a mess. So yeah. there are days where my laser outfeed is directly next to my vacuum pump. So if I'm going to be just doing vacuum work with the vacuum table. Uh, and I'm not going to be doing any laser work. I'll switch the, the outfeeds for the for the um, exhaust, and I'll exhaust that hot air, which also you know, quiets it down as like a byproduct. But I do want to look into getting this thing isolated, even if I just build a box for it, because I, I was so surprised on how quiet your setup was compared to mine. I mean, typically I'm wearing ear protection in here regardless, but it's still it's a ton of noise and it's really hot. Yeah. Yeah. No, that worked that worked out well for us here. I was it was I was glad we had the space to be able to do that cuz it is in our demo room so it's nice when it, when somebody comes up to visit you want to be able to show them the machine working and have a conversation over right. it. Right. So yeah, you, don't, yeah, have, you was, don't have to scream at them. Yeah, yeah, it worked out really really nice. Um so what type of work does Veteran Woodco do? Like for those of you those people that don't know what you do. I mean, what what is your area of specialty? So initially, like I had said earlier, we had started, you know, I say we as a company, it's, it's really just me. Um, my wife does help me from time to time, but we specialized in just flags. And that was the initial like breaking ground into flags. But then once I made the transition to the Stepcraft, it, it was with a direction to kind of focus on larger signs, like large format signage, which is, you know, it's what you should be doing with a large machine like this. So now I, well, I like to specialize in what I say is custom signage, whether it's indoor, outdoor signage. I use a lot of HDU, PVC, acrylics, metals, divons. Uh, I do not do wooden flags anymore unless it's extremely custom and it requires some sort of logo or signage or something integrated in it. So if you guys are looking for a wooden sign, I'd recommend you go to Flags of Valor, who I work with very closely. Um, and then in hindsight, I do Flags of Valor's custom signage. So if Flags of Valor needs custom signage, they have a they refer that to me. So I do custom signage, indoor, outdoor signage, uh, large format, small format. Uh, three-dimensional or dimensional lettering, as they call it. I don't do vinyl printing, but I do outsource vinyl printing to a local guy that I work very closely with. Um, we do traditional woodworking, but I don't do furniture. I, I usually turn down furniture jobs, but I do do woodworking if you want. Like I have trays here that I made, like uh, catering trays for a catering company. I do make file boxes. I make functional coin holders. I make functional gear stands, uh, all which are made on the CNC nine times out of 10. So mm-hmm. It's a very broad scope of work, and which is why I like it because I have a tendency to get bored fairly easily with like mundane and routine tasks. So other than coming out here every day, which is the same mundane routine task, I find that everything that I'm doing, the jobs that I'm taking on are always very different. And it, every, every one of them requires uh, the, the design aspect, yeah, the, the material resourcing, and then the finalizing, finishing, and making and shipping. It's, it's just from start to finish. But yeah, we, we kind of do everything, but we don't do furniture and we're not doing flags. So those are the two things we're staying away from. 
So a lot of the people that I talk to when I'm talking to customers and stuff that know you, know you for your medallions and things that you do, like the police and the- or like uh, the big coins, like giant the, yeah. logos. Yeah. And now and um, now you've done uh, one that I was talking to you when you came here about, which which was a pretty good story. Well, sad that you ever had to do it, but when the uh, Capitol riots happened, you, did, you were contracted to do the memorial, right, for uh, one of the officers or bo- both- was it two, yeah, there two was two officers that had gotten killed, right? There was there was the January sixth, which was you know the riots or insurrection, whatever you want to call it, uh, where Officer Brian Sicknick was struck on the head with a fire extinguisher, and he had a, a seizure uh, later on that night, and then had a stroke, and then passed away the next day. So I was contracted to do the memorial piece for Officer Brian Sicknick, which was a forty-two inch round. It was totally original artwork that we had an artist create. It was the Capitol Police logo with the thin blue line through it with his name around the outside, like 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 offset around the outside in a border with uh, a custom engraving plaque. And it was all done on the CNC. It was, we used multiple different materials, but it was uh, it ended up being like a 42-inch round plaque or medallion, all 3D CNC dimensional. And then again in April, I think it was April 4th, was when um, officer, was it Brian Evans? Uh, it was, Ev- it was Ev- uh, Evans for sure. Officer Evans was struck and killed by a motor vehicle from a man who targeted him at the front gate and just ran him over because he wanted to kill a cop. So we did that piece also. So we made a secondary identical piece, just changed the name and a little bit of verbiage. So now we have two pieces down at the Capitol building, which is very sad. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an amazing opportunity and it was, it was a great group of guys. And we, you know, we got a private tour of the, of the, of the, the property, like up, down, left, right. We saw everything. It was, it was amazing, but it was really sad that we even had to have it made. Um, but it was a great opportunity to kind of showcase our work and get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, you know, maybe if you could share some of those photos, I'll put it in the show notes on the website so people can see what we're talking about because they were, they were extremely impressive. Um, uh, the, the actual thing you created was amazing, but you had a couple of pictures where you were standing posing with all of the other officers and that, that said a lot right there too. Cause it wasn't, you know, it was a little bit of a somber picture as opposed That's to exactly everybody the... being, uh, you know, uh, on a more happy occasion or happy project. But, um, yeah, that was the word I was like, I was going to use was a very somber. Like I had, I didn't know what to expect when I was invited to go down there and deliver it. And um, when I walked in, like we had to get a cart to wheel this thing in because it was big and it took two guys to move it. We had to wheel it in. And then the hallway of the basement of the Capitol is like where the police operate in. They operate in the basement and both both sides of the hallway were lined with officers who were all working that day, um, who were partners with Officer Brian Sicknick. And it was just you could hear a pin drop. It was like, yeah, it, it was really powerful. So. And then again, to have that happen again, the second time is just like, you got to be kidding me. So both times, you know, it was, uh, you know, I got to meet every one of them that was working. I shook all their hands. They thanked me. We thanked each other. And it was just like, I told them when I, we, cause we spoke, like they asked me to say a few things. This is my contact down there. Well, he's like, Mike, would you like to say anything? And I was like, you know, guys, thank you for what you do. And I, you know, I can't, I can't urge you to be more careful. Just don't be complacent. Like just stay, stand, stay vigilant you know, watch your six and just keep doing the right thing. Yeah, no, it was definitely something that's for sure. But it was, it was cool that, you know, it's, it's an honor, at least that they, they had you do that. And, uh, you know, the, the piece came out amazing too. And, and that brought me to my next thing. Like a lot of the, the, those medallion type things you do are painted, they're custom painted. So 
like, and they're really detailed. And I'm kind of a one color, one coat kind of person with a spray can. <laughs> and if I can't finish the project with Paint that, with I, I don't want to know anything by numbers. It. Yeah. <laughs> so like, where did you come up? Like, is that something, a skill you always had, or is that something you kind of built know. upon? I, I definitely built upon it. Um, it's, it's a fairly simple procedure. It just takes a while. Like it's not a very complicated process to paint, but painting is a science and it's a very delicate procedure, but it's, it's not hard to do. You have to have the right equipment. You got to have a clean environment. You got to have the right preparation. Um, I definitely, it definitely is a, um, perishable skill, so to speak, or like, it's not something you could acquire overnight. It's taken a lot of practice. So it started initially with just some acrylics and some paintbrushes, and then it transitioned to like different types of paints and enamels and oils and acrylics and latexes and water-based enamels and then different spray guns and then HVLP guns. And now it's like, I'm ready to paint a car at this point. Like I'm looking forward <laughs> to the next big project, but it's painting is you got to have an eye for art. I feel uh, a lot of the pieces I'll paint are painted by hand um, with no lines to stay within. You just kind of have to, and that's kind of where the CNC magic comes in. You have to make sure your 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 tool paths are offset enough to give you a, an area to paint within, so you're not just creating you know free boundary lines with your hands. Mm -hmm. So whenever I do my design work, I'm always trying to say, okay, we're going to have these two different pieces on different heights. That way, that'll give a a solid like a differential line for me to paint on. But yeah, it's definitely something that I've acquired over the past two years. But I, but prior to that, I've always had a fairly good eye for drawing. I used to doodle a lot in high school. I never paid attention. I was always drawing stuff. Um, I, I, I guess I have a pretty good, I, pretty good hand in painting. Like if you needed me to paint something, I have a pretty good eye for that. So a little bit is like natural talent. And a lot of it is just, you know, practice and doing it every day for the past two, three years. Well, I'd, I'll, I'll get some, you have to send me some photos. We'll put them up on the show notes. Just some of the, some of the stuff I see you sharing on Facebook and Instagram is, is pretty, uh, pretty awesome for sure. Thank you. Um, so we were talking a little bit before we started and, and, uh, I know a lot of people might be wondering, cause you're, you're running this business out of your garage. This is your full-time thing now, right? Yeah, it's been full-time, um, since I got my Stepcraft. Actually, it's been longer than that. I went full-time when I had my Inventables. So I was going to work. Uh, I left the police force in December of 19. And I started working full-time as a low voltage electrician. And I was commuting to work. I saw the tolls I was paying. I, I did have a company car, so I had a van. Um, but I had to pay fuel. I had to pay tolls. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And then, by the way, taxes, which I'm paying now again. But the minute I started driving to work and I saw that I had more product in my garage with potential to make more money than my boss was paying me. I, that's when I started thinking to myself, like, could I maintain this? And I guess that magic number was somewhere near like, hmm, for me, it was like, you know, at least a thousand bucks a week. Could I, could I maintain that right to pay my mortgage per month? Like that's mm -hmm. my, my magic number back then that number has since changed. But when I was first starting, that was my magic number. If I could do a thousand dollars a week, then I could slowly transition to full-time. Well, I had, I hit that number. So I transitioned to full-time. That's when I started looking for the step craft for me. I mean, I never took any business classes in college or high school. I have no background in economics, but for me, I do know the, the basic principle of it takes money to make money. Like you have to invest in order to turn a, a return to in order to make a return. So my investment was everything you see in my shop and everything behind me. 
and the expense was huge. Like it was big. And the first year I made a decent income, but I still wasn't in the green because all the expense that I had to offset with that, with that income that I potentially made. But yeah, this is full-time for me now for about two years. Uh, I work by myself. Occasionally my wife does help me out on the back end of things. And as we speak, I am looking for a space to grow the company in. I've invited in a local maker to come work with me part-time who uh, he only works about three days a week. He's also a law enforcement officer who's also a maker who seems like a really great guy. And I said, Hey, listen, I'd love for you to come in and spend some time with me in the shop and help me out. Cause I do need some of my projects are bigger and I could use a second hand mm-hmm. or Hey man, you're a woodworker. I know you, you know what this involves It involves going to the lumber yard and picking up materials. So currently full-time been doing it for two years and looking to expand uh, aggressively in the next few months. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's super impressive, especially like I said earlier, you know, I was talking to a gentleman a couple of days ago and he was wants he's in the same spot you were two years ago. He wants to buy a machine, wants to get started, um, has a house, has a garage he could use, but he was convinced that he needed to go and, and rent the space. Um, and he, he's like, I, I don't know that I could build a real business out of my garage. And I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure you can, um, yeah. you know, Microsoft, Apple, they all started out of garages. So, yeah. you know, um, Stepcraft, you uh, started out of a very small space. I mean, it's, 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 it's good because you, you have the security of being in a space you already own technically. And then, you uh, so it takes that pressure off, and you could just focus on your your craft, getting your business up and running. And um, it, it's yeah, a lot of people don't realize that you could really build something substantial. Uh, yeah, the hardest problem or the biggest problem I struggle with is painting here, uh, which is the byproduct of paint is fumes. So my wife's only complaint, really, like there's no complaint about the noise. There's significant power coming into my house to run. I could run my table saw, a planer. And the CNC, which are all 220, all three of those are 220 at the same time. There's enough mm-hmm. power in my garage to run all that. And I have a, a standard 50 amp circuit. The only problem I struggle with is paint. And it's not whether it's dry or clean, it's just the fumes. And what do you do with the fumes and how do you keep them from seeping through and getting into the house? Because right. they're gonna find they're gonna they're gonna find a way. So that's the only thing I have to paint during the day, not at night when my wife's home. Uh, if it's nice out, make sure the doors are open, but don't have any dust coming in. So it's constantly trying to find that balance of when's a good time to paint. With, with working in your garage, um, it's been great to me for the past two years. I'm a one-man shop. Um, I have had friends come in and help me from time to time, and I've had other makers come here, and we'll tag team a job together. Um, I do a lot of work with Keith Johnson. Keith Johnson is a very no, uh, notable woodworker in my area, and he'll bring pieces to me, and we work together on them. But he's a woodworker. But in terms of me wanting to expand, it's very hard to do that in a two-car garage that you that you live in or you know, in a house that you live in because of possibilities for liability with homeowner's insurance, workman's comp, and, or you could have a neighbor who's too nosy. Mm-hmm. And all, all it takes is one phone call to the town saying, I think this man has an illegal business and there's always a car parked in front of his house and it's not, and it's not family. Next thing you know, you have the building inspector here and you're shut down. Mm-hmm. So as long as you keep it to yourself and you have um, enough safety requirements in place, you know, you're fine, but it is, it is limiting in terms of if you want to grow the business you know, and take that version 2.0 with employees and, you know, have a little more supply and stock and overhead. That's when you have to start looking at now I need to have insurance. Now I need to have workman's comp. Now I need to have a whole separate, you know, slew of things that require payroll, you know, mm-hmm. it's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so yeah. I'll, be, I'll be coming to you when, when that time is up for me. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, we just got through Expand. I mean, you were here. We gave you the tour. I mean, our facility now is over twice the size as it, it used to be. It's our fifth expansion in seven years. Um, yeah, it's, uh, but you, you have to do it. It's like you said earlier, you got to make, you got to spend money to make money. You have, you have to keep growing, uh, to keep on, on the, on the cutting edge of everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we work hard to do that here for sure. Um, what, so, so now with your business, you're, you're busy. And, and I'm always curious when I talk to other business owners, like, how are you getting business? Like you must be spending hundreds of week or thousands a month in, in advertising to get, or, or is it just word of mouth? I guess it's word of mouth. My first year, which, you know, this is technically my July of 21. Yeah. It's like my second and a half year. We just crested the two year mark. So the first year taxes, I'll call it like calendar year, 2020. I probably spent about $1,500 on social media campaigns and they were all targeted campaigns for followers like myself, but Instagram doesn't know who my customers are. They just know who my followers are. Mm-hmm. So this past year, uh, calendar year 2021, I haven't spent any money with advertising at all. Um, what I have like a very, very um, basic old school mentality when it comes to terms to advertising social media. And it's just, Put good content out there, have good energy. Uh, don't sell yourself short. Don't don't sell yourself out. Very very important. Don't sell yourself out, um, and just be yourself. Like be honest and be genuine, and put it on social media. And as long as you put out good content and you're a halfway decent maker, the work's going to find you. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's my um, my secret sauce is just put out good content. I try to do a couple posts a day. Most of my content on social media is generated from Instagram and then it's shared automatically through Facebook. I post in my, the peak hours, peak hours are like 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. All people are either home or at work or commuting. And then mm-hmm. sometime early afternoon, don't post too late and don't post too early. Use good hashtags, use hashtags that are going to target your customer, not going to target similar makers because makers aren't going to buy your stuff. Mm-hmm. So you got to Got to, whatever it is that you're promoting or whatever it is that you're selling, you're putting a picture out of, make sure you're promoting it towards people that you want to buy it. So if you're making a, if you're making a, a coin holder for a police officer, don't do hashtag woodworker. Mm-hmm. Don't rather do hashtag gifts for him or gifts for dad or police gifts, things like that. Because when someone search that, if there's a customer that's going to go online and search police gifts, they're going to see your product pop up. So that's good good advice. Yeah. It's just basic hashtags and you got to see what, which ones are more popular because those are what people search. Like there are days where I'm searching through hashtags. I want to find something. And then, um, yeah, as far as marketing goes, there's really, I have my truck that's, that's fully wrapped. I wrapped my truck this past year. I leased a vehicle to the company. I used a company called Wrapmate to design a wrap and they fully vinyl wrap the truck. And that's a, a rolling billboard essentially on four wheels. It's my daily driver. I've got your guys' logo on the back window, as you've seen, but that's generated a lot of income for me. I probably paid that wrap off within the first month or so just from people making um, in-person inquiries when I park my car, when I'm at a stoplight uh, in the middle of the intersection. Yeah, people, whoa, let me get a card. Let me get a card. Sure, no problem. You know, And then, hey, can you do this? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody gets a yes. Mm-hmm. And then you you figure it out down the road. Yeah. But as far as, far as marketing goes, it's really just my truck, um, Instagram, Facebook, are you doing any Facebook marketing? No, I've, I've done a couple of Facebook uh, ad campaigns, but again, they usually all originate through Instagram and carry over like on the back end. It's called business suite. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. but no, I don't run, I don't run a lot of ads. I don't run many ads at all. Maybe I ran one or two this year, maybe for like a couple days. So when you're, you post on Instagram a lot now, do you post, where do you post on Facebook? Are you, do you have a veteran wood co page or are you posting in other groups or? Yeah, well, I do a bunch of, well, as you may know, I'm part of the, the Stepcraft user group, both right. the before you buy and the crafters club. So there are some days I'll share it to those groups just to get guys put their eyes on it. But again, those aren't my customers. Those people mm -hmm. are essentially competition or, you know, people that want to be, yeah, they could be. Uh, or, you know, guys that are hobbyists that are just looking to make things. So I'll just share it, just kind of get optics on it. But when I do post, it's on Instagram.com forward slash Veteran Woodco, which is my mm -hmm. Veteran Woodco Instagram. And uh, Facebook is Facebook.com forward slash Veteran Woodco. So it's a Facebook page for Veteran Woodco. Since we're talking about marketing and social media, I find that Instagram, and this is for me because I have companies that I speak to and guys that do similar work that get all their business through Facebook. Well, for me, I don't know what it is. I find that Facebook has a lot of window shoppers and people that are just kind of browsing and price gouging. 90% mm -hmm. um, of my income, not business, but my income, overall income for the year comes from Instagram. So mm -hmm. it's it's a tremendous, tremendous sales platform. Um, I find that nearly everyone that reaches out to me for an inquiry is like a closed sale within a matter of hours. There's most people already know what they want when they see something. And all I do is just, I have a, um, this is a good trick for people if they're interested in like, how do we sell custom work? On my website, which is veteranwoodco.com, I have uh, one of my for sale items is just called custom work. And under that custom work, I have 10 options and it's options one through 10. And you can go through one through 10 and every option is priced differently. It starts at 400 and goes all the way to like two grand. Mm -hmm. And I just tell that customer, hey, based on what you told me, you're going to go to my website, you're going to purchase option seven. And then in the notes, you're going to put what it is that we just spoke about. And that's what they do. They go on the website, they purchase option seven, they put in a chart, the cart. They say, hey, I want the thin blue line coin holder for the Canada, blah, 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 blah. And they hit checkout. And that's invoice. That's an invoice job. So I don't have to say, give me your Venmo. What's your PayPal? I just, oh. they tell me the parameters of the work. And I just say, okay, based on what you just told me, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars. Go to my website. Here's the link. I always give them the link for custom work. Mm -hmm. Option, you're going to purchase option four. And then option four is what they buy. So after the person adds the job to the cart and they tell you what they want, now I assume you do a, a sample and then you you send them a drawing or rendering from Vetric or something? Typically on the um, custom signs 100% of the time, because that's part of making it is actually drawing it on like a CAD program, which is typically Vetric. But if it's something other than a custom sign, like for example, these catering trays I made, nine times out of 10, I'm not doing a rendering. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's a coin holder, probably not doing a rendering. Um, unless a person really asks for one, they're, they're usually sending me pictures of things they like, and then telling me that they want something similar. And then this is what we're going to change. Gotcha. But for, for custom signs that are going on the wall are going to be in the ground. hundred percent of the times they're always getting a rendering nine times out of 10, they either have to go to like the town board or the building department for approval. So you have to submit a, a drawing anyway. Now, speaking of which now you're a Vetric user, right? So VCAR pro, I assume, or are you using Aspire? I started, uh, I was very fortunate. My friend Chris had um, boards and beams, so I mentioned earlier. Uh, he was gracious enough to give me a copy of Aspire very early into my X-Carb days. So that's kind of what I learned on from the get-go. And um, I've been using Aspire now for two years, and I'm officially on my own copy. Just in case <laughs> you didn't know, I got my own. Uh, Vetric was good enough. So about, I guess I'll kind of blend into this. Um, about, eh, I guess, mid-COVID, six months ago, give or take, 
I started getting a lot of requests for people regarding um, help or input or correction on their tool paths or their vetric designs because they were seeing what I was putting out and they were just wondering, how did I do that? Or what was involved or how many tool paths or V-carve or inlay or what'd you do? So rather than like take time at a, take time of my day every day to answer all these questions, I decided, let me do, let me dedicate like one or two hours every week. I'll sit down and we do a Zoom call and I invite everyone into the Zoom call and I uh, literally send out invitations to everyone who's been asking me help and you guys can join me on the Zoom call and we can go over the files that you guys have in question. So that kind of took off like fire. And uh, it's now Thursdays at eight o'clock at night on Eastern time is I host a free Zoom webinar and the link is usually in my bio for some sort of social media. So either Facebook or Instagram, I'll either post a link about 24 hours in advance and I will either upload my own work and we go over a project that I'm working on, or I'll actually use your work. So like prior to the Zoom, you could email me a file you're having troubles with, troubles with whether it's like a vector problem or a toolpath problem or whatever, and I will work through it together. And there's usually about you know, 18, 20 people in the class. Like it's, it's pretty big uh, showing. And that turned into Vetric um, actually watching my videos, like Vetric UK headquarters was watching my videos because I was uploading them to YouTube. And they, they, were, they were so impressed with the, the level of instruction and how clear I was able to um, describe what it is that people wanted to hear that they invited me to be one of their guest speakers this year at the user conference in San Diego, which subsequently has been canceled due canceled, to COVID yeah. reasons. Yeah, so that's like a big bummer. But we're still doing something online, and uh, I have to start filming it soon because it's due <laughs> very shortly. But with that, Vetric was nice enough to give me a copy of my own Aspire. So cool. I'm, no, I'm no longer on your license. I'm no longer on the pirated license that I was gifted years ago. I'm on an up-to-date legal, <laughs> good to come above board, as they say. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I like um, I like Vetric. I mean, we use it almost exclusively. We do uh, use Fusion 360 uh, a little bit as well. It just depends on the type of projects that people are designing. Um, but uh, yeah, VCar Pro with our Q series machines that that's probably the most popular software that people are are using. Uh, are you now? You're in your projects. That was another question. You're not doing a lot of 3D carvings, right? You you we had had a discussion about that at one point. You had said that you do them if you absolutely need to, but there's it's harder to make money or because of the time that's involved. So more what you're doing is V carved as opposed to 3D. Correct. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say most of what I'm doing is V-carved. A lot of like a lot of my dimensional lettering, if it's on a one-piece sign, will be either pocketed, you know, pocketed letters, like negatively pocketed. So the gotcha. letter is raised and everything around it's pocketed out. Um, I do do some V-carving, but a lot of it is just pocketing, like multiple layers of pocketing. Um, that project, we did a project for the NSA that was featured in a few different magazines this past year. We did three large 40-inch medallions um, for the NSA, which are down in... Um, DC area. And that was just ridiculous. So it was like 40 tool paths per job of just pocketing because every layer had a different height down mm-hmm. into the material and everything was offset from each other. But um, that's what, uh, what were we talking about? Pocketing layers. Yeah. Not a whole lot of 3d carving. I do it again, if absolutely necessary, I do have a few jobs coming up that are going to require some 3d carves, but for what I've seen in terms of a business perspective, and I had this talk with another gentleman on a podcast just about two weeks ago. He does this as a hobby and he says he's going to be looking forward to doing it full time. And he's, I think in the next few weeks, he's going full time with it. And I asked him um, if he thinks he's going to be able to make money doing what he's doing now with 3D carves. And he says, yeah, of course. And I said, right now, you leave your machine to carve. I think I, I don't know if I told you this. He leaves his machine carving 3D while he goes and flies an airplane. 
Oh yes, yeah, you told pilot. Me. I said, you think you're going to be able to make money doing a 3D carve all day if it takes 16 hours, 17 hours? I said you, you'd be out of business in a week. Out of business, no way, Ab- absolutely no way. So for me, it's you know, if if I'm doing a badge or if I'm doing a crest of some sort, and the middle of it has dimension. I'll just do the middle of it in dimension with 3D mm-hmm. where the rest of it can be the rest of it can be V carved and pocketed. I always try to V carve and pocket it. Gotcha. All right. So what are the future plans for veteran Woodco? What do you see happening over the next year? Okay. So there, there's a couple different directions we can go in, all of which are in a positive direction, but I kind of have like plan A, B, and C set up in motion just in case, you know, depending on which way we go. Plan A is happening. It's already started. It's not really um, for Veteran Woodco, but it is a result of Veteran Woodco, and it's a nonprofit that I've started, and it involves my wife and my, my good friend Joe from Waves of Grain, who also is a, a Q machine owner. And the Maker Community Project is the name of it. It's a New Jersey-based nonprofit, and what it is, it's designed to raise money for makers in need, disabled makers in need, financial hardships, um, family hardships, medical concerns for people in the community that need to come together and you know help each other. So I found a need, um, a need arose for that through a man I met on the forums. Um, not going to get into the details, but he ended up cutting himself really bad over the past year, twice uh, using his table saw. He's also a CNC owner. He has an Inventables machine and he, um, he cut his hand open really bad on the table saw. And then he cut his finger open real bad because he has a disability. He was in a motorcycle accident. He's partially disabled on the left side of his body. He's in a wheelchair for most of his day and he has no fine motor skills whatsoever. So it really kind of um, struck my heartstrings when I found out how badly he was struggling. And we've been talking now for about two years and we FaceTime all the time. And he's, I consider him a buddy of mine, but he's a complete stranger when it comes to like personally knowing him. But I see his face multiple times a week and it really hurts to see him struggle with the equipment in his shop. So once he cut himself, I mean, the first time was enough, but the second time was just, it was too much. And I, I kind of knew I had to do something about it. So I, um, at the time I already had submitted the paperwork for the nonprofit because I knew this was something I wanted to do, but it, ha- it hadn't even been approved. And I took the social media with the, with the mission and the mission was to raise money for makers in need. And I identified our friend Eric in Colorado as our a kind of our target for our first mission and just using my platform on Instagram and Facebook, I was, and I say I, because at the time, right now we have a team of 10 people on the maker community project. There's a team of makers at the time I, I had asked all of them like just to wait, because this is going to be like, this is gonna be the first one. And then I don't, I don't want you guys to really get involved just yet. So at the time it was just my platform, 9,000 followers on Instagram, a couple thousand on Facebook. We raised $4,000 in less than 24 hours thousand dollars of that was t-shirt sales through my website for the maker community project. And the rest of that was straight donations from people that just wanted to help this man in Colorado because he was now like even more disabled than he started. So we purchased a saw stop and we had it shipped over to him from Utah and it was up and running within 24 hours um, of him you know, getting it. Wow. So once we got the, the nonprofit, it's a 501c3 nonprofit approved. I invited these other 10 makers in, um, some of which you may know, they're all pretty pretty notorious makers. I'd say that I'm one of the newer guys. Like if it was a party, I'd be the most, like I'm, I'm the newest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a few, then maybe a handful that have a less following than me, but most of them have significantly more following than me. But I only pick them because of, I, f- I feel like throughout communicating with them and interacting with them on social media, I feel like their heart's in the right place. There's a lot of people out there that have a significant following, but I, I want nothing to do with them just because I, I could kind of feel their energy through what they're putting out there. 
And they say, you know, about good energy, like good energy attracts good energy and bad energy attracts bad energy. So I'm all about that feeling someone's energy and kind of riding with that. So these 10 makers who are on my team now uh, are all guys who've been doing it for a significant amount of time. Many of them do it full time and all of them are on board with helping each other and giving back to people who need it. So very shortly, we're going to be launching the Maker Community Project website and it's on the website. It's going to be a bio about every team member. And then it'll also have merchandise and things like that for sale. That'll be able to raise money for the mission. And again, I'll state it again, the mission is to raise money for people in need, like makers in the community that in need, whether it's your, you know, immediate family, your secondary family, if something happens to you and you're in need and you're, you know, you don't have the funds to, whatever it is, we're going to, the board will meet and the team will meet and we'll decide if it's a, it's a, a subject or a concern of ours to donate towards. So mm-hmm. that's, that's happening. That's already step one. That's awesome. Step two. Thank you. Step two is the expansion, which I mentioned earlier, which is I'm growing out of my garage. You know, I've already asked another maker to come help me. Uh, I'm looking to get a space somewhere in the area to kind of help my company grow. Um, so that's like plan B is like on my own, get a helper and grow the company, but still it'd be veteran Woodco, And, you know, we just be version 2.0, um, try to get a second machine in there. I, I am interested in getting a welder, uh, maybe a plasma or a water jet and kind of diversifying my, my dimensional signage capabilities. And then version 3.0 is going to be talked about on Thursday night when I go to dinner with two of my friends, one of which being Chris from Boards and Beams. Another one is named Sean. Sean's out of Montclair, New Jersey, which is a very um, thriving downtown area from where I live. And Sean does all the dimensional signage and maker-related creations in town, whether it's bookends, built-ins, overhead signs, exterior signs, you name it, Sean can build it. Well, Sean and Chris and I are all kind of outgrowing our current spaces and we're all looking to, to grow and to increase the job space that we're taking on. So we're, we're talking about a potential conglomerate like partnership where we'd keep our own identities, but we'd still, we continue to take on new jobs under a new name, but we'd still have our own identities, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's an, that's an option. Um, with the, whether we do version two or three, uh, we're going to need a space to house version one. Like, so plan A is the maker community project. Initially, about two years ago, we did a petition um, to help reopen the Veterans Affairs Woodshop, which is in the in the area from where I live. They've got a full-blown woodshop. It was shut down prior to COVID when the instructor retired. And then I was asked by a bunch of the members there um, to come in and be a, a part-time instructor. And this woodshop is at the PTSD inpatient clinic. So like these kids, like, and I say they're kids because they're all younger than me. These are all combat vets who have been flagged by the government or court ordered or told by their family they need to go be part of this program and they can't leave until they've been cleared by a doctor. And part of their recovery was woodworking. That was a a therapeutic shop they offer at the VA. Well, since this woodworker, teacher, instructor has retired, the director um, decided to auction all the equipment off and cut back on liability and drop that insurance uh, and save a bunch of money for the government. So we were going to try to reopen that shop, but we got we got told no. And that was just when COVID fired off. So now the idea is, well, if I'm getting a big enough space to house me in you know, version two or possibly version three, I would also like a space to host to host version like Maker Community Project to use that as like an umbrella for Maker Community Project to bring like whether it's shop seminars or instructional videos or um, maker meetups, something like a, like a maker space for people mm-hmm. who want to come learn uh, every so often, once a month, you know, bring guys in, whether it's guys from the VA who need to get bust in 
um, you know, local classes, high school teachers bring, can bring their class in for like a class trip and kind of show them what goes into um, this type of industry, because there really isn't, there really isn't any class you can take in high school or college to tell you that this, this is an industry that exists out there. Like right. it's, it's a very hidden gem and people always need it. Like there's no shortage of work out there. It's just a matter of finding it. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where veteran Woodco is going. Definitely want to get a space. I want to get a space big enough to host me and a bunch of people that I could bring together on a monthly basis to have like a seminar or like a showroom or a makerspace. And then at the same time, um, if needed big enough for two potential partners to take on much, much bigger jobs, including like, you know, um, metal fabrication, staircase fabrication, structural fabrication, you know, things like that. Very cool. A lot of what you do is custom work. Do you have any desires of doing production work, like with an, say, like an Etsy store or something, where you're making things that you sell on a repetitive basis? Is that in your plan? So I do have an Etsy store. It's etsy.com forward slash shop. I think it's forward slash Veteran Woodco. It's Veteran Woodco on Etsy. There are some very uh, rudimentary items on there that are just cookie cutter. Um, kind of like mass production items, one of which is the plow box, another which is the um, the Baltic Birch tactical gear stand. But these are larger items with a higher price point that require uh, like a full day's worth of work. A lot of times the plow box you can do in a couple hours. Um, but I really don't have any desire to do the small, um, smaller jobs, high number, um, mm-hmm. more shipping, more tracking, more customers. I, I, I kind of want to stick to larger one-off jobs um higher higher gross less less headache in my mind for me i I prefer the one job that will cover my mortgage one time rather than the 10 jobs that require 10 different customers that require 10 different boxes that require 10 different track numbers right so that's my mindset Yeah. yeah it makes sense I appreciate the time today. I know we we covered uh, a lot of stuff. Now, one of the things you and I had talked about a little bit when you came up to visit and a little while ago this morning is we can try to set up one podcast a month where you and I will talk and and not necessarily about your business or my business, but more or less about maybe CNC business, tips and tricks, uh, things like that. And, um, you know, I, I presented the idea to you. You uh, said you were receptive to it. And that, that I'm pretty excited about that because that allows me to do this podcast at the very least once a month with, uh, I guess, a co-host. And we have uh, between the two of us, there's never a shortage of anything to talk about. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, that'll probably happen within a month. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something that piqued my interest when you mentioned it to me. I would love to join you, uh, you know, one on one once a month or even twice a month and talk about anything CNC yeah, maker related. And again, it doesn't have to be step craft. It could be anything. Right. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. When I do my, my zoom webinars, I tell everyone straight up, I said, listen, this is not a pitch for step craft and it never is. It's not a pitch for tools today or anything. This is just a, a CNC design. And that's what I named it. CNC intro to CNC design, because it doesn't matter what machine you have. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what computer you have or what bits you use or who you give your money to. This is just, we're talking about the basics, like how to design in Vetric. Yep. And you know, what you output it to is totally up to you. So yeah, that's very cool. A lot of people may not know this, but it's, I think it's a good closing point is like, you know, I think a lot of people see me and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, he's a StepCraft affiliate, Tools Today sponsor. Um, again, I, I spent all my, this was on my own money. I was a customer initially. Um, I gave you full price for this machine. There was right. no 
you know, I, I, I never got a deal from you. This was just a, a natural organic relationship that we developed over the past year and a half. And uh, since then with, you know, how, how much we've gone back and forth and how much, you know, I've enjoyed our relationship with the business and the, the machine, this has kind of blossomed out of that. Yeah. Uh, people, a lot of people have asked me and it's really, it's not a secret to it. A lot of, a lot. And I, I can literally probably two dozen people have asked me, how did I go about, um, facilitating this affiliation or this like relationship. And I told them it's just like, and this is a silly uh, analogy, but it works. Like I said, you've ever bought a car before. Of course, of course I bought a car. All right, great. When you leave that dealership, do you thank your salesman? Do you send him a card? Do you ever ask for his number? Do you go back to when you get service and shake his hand and say hello to see what he's doing? Or do you never see him again? And that's, that's how it is. It's like, do you, when I, when we met, we kind of hit it off. We have good personalities. We meshed. I got your phone number. We text. And when I, Hey, can I come up and see you guys? I'd love to stop in. And it's not, I don't, I don't want anything. I just want to come in and say hello. And right. you know, it's an organically built relationship. you got to kind of feel the chemistry out for anybody who's listening. If you guys are looking to establish a relationship with anybody, whether it's a, 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 a female or male partner or a business or whatever, it has to be organic. It has to feel right. It has to be benefit both parties. It can't just be a one-sided relationship. And I think that's why this works really well. I mean, regardless of the machine in the background here, you and I would get along any day of the week. Yeah, I consider you a good friend and I'm I'm thankful. Uh, it was, that was uh, probably the best thing out of you becoming a customer is I gained a new friend and uh, we have a good time. We hang out and uh, yeah, and we're we going to have a good time doing this podcast too. We are. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, once again, Mike, where is the best place for people to go to find you? So Instagram.com forward slash Veteran Woodco. Facebook.com forward slash Veteran Woodco. I am on Etsy. If you guys want to search Veteran Woodco on Etsy, you'll find the store. And then the website is veteranwoodco.com. Cool. I, yep. So awesome. I really do appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing this, uh, hopefully on a monthly basis with you. And, and we'll talk about some cool stuff every month. Thanks, Eric. I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> and uh, I also look forward to you know, seeing where this goes in the future. All right. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to the Think It, Make It podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more great CNC router content.